Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Country Vine for October 22nd, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, a big show tonight. Here in about 20 minutes, we're going to have one of our favorite frequent guest of the show, probably our favorite Floridian that we have on the show, um, Craig Pittman, a writer extraordinary for years in the Tampa Bay Times, a Tribune, a Times, I know they merged with the St. Petersburg paper at one point, uh, but now writes for the Florida Phoenix and then probably many other places, freelance and writes books. He's going to come talk to us about a series that Vox Media put together. Also, he's going to tell us about the, the many similarities of Utah and Florida. Catherine will ask you about that. <laughs> so that'll be in just a bit. But until then, we're going to get through a few stories of the week. There's a huge story right going to cover second, and we're going to try to get through another story, which was definitely undercovered on Fox News, and that would be the <laughs> plea deals back-to-back of Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbro, attorneys for Donald Trump. Now, all these charges that have been against Donald Trump have done nothing to impact his poll ratings. And it just seems like he just keeps on going, ignores him, ignores him. Everybody ignores him. The voters in the Republican primary ignore him. But this seems a little more substantial. Right, Catherine? Yeah, uh, I think it does. Uh, but I just want to correct you that uh, according to former President Donald Trump, Sidney Powell was never his attorney. <laughs> just want to clarify Don't that. Don't gaslight me, Cat. Catherine, don't get <laughs> <laughs> Even though she, you know, represented him in many ways, but according to him, she was never his attorney. Yeah. I want to make yeah. sure we, you know, get all sides of these stories. <laughs> but seriously, does it seem like this <laughs> is a little more substantial than things, other things? Yes, because they have you know, inside information that they're apparently sharing with uh, the Fulton County DA. So, uh, yeah, I think it should be a lot more significant or could be a lot more significant. Yes. And, Tim, kind of what do you think this means in the places that didn't actually discuss it and cover it? What could this possibly mean to this this particular ongoing case, not the other three charges? Well, I think I think uh, uh, a couple of major things. Number one, now we've had uh, three people that have already taken plea deals. Don't let's don't forget Scott Hall, that bail bondsman that was messing around down there in Coffee County. He he pleaded guilty first, but. These are two major figures in Powell and Chesbro, and as part of the deals, here's the second big thing. They have agreed to testify against 
other defendants and to turn over any relevant documents to this case. I believe this might, I I don't know, open the floodgates and pressure other defendants to flip. Um, Powell, I was not surprised at her flipping, but Chesbro, that was stunning. He had stood his ground. They were actually in jury selection when he flipped. This is not good news for Donald Trump at at all. And and in the coming days, guys, let's do watch for first of all to see if other others start to fall in line and flipping uh, before any any anything else even goes to court. Yeah, let, let's let's say one more thing on this. Let's say everybody else flips, you know, his, his landscaper. And, of course, Donald Trump may say Rudy Giuliani's not my landscaper, um, even though he was from West Island in front of the Four Seasons Landscaping Company. All these other folks, they all flip. Will Donald Trump just still push through um, for a trial, Catherine? Uh, yeah, I think so. Tim? Mm. He'll, he'll just... Say they're oh. all lying. Yeah. Well, Tim's I mean, Trump, I think Trump. I think Trump's going to stay with the same uh, thing that he's always done, and that's to just delay, delay, delay. That that's what he's uh, playing against is is the clock and the calendar, and he's trying to delay every trial and every legal thing he can as long as he can in the hopes that the presidential election, a favorable result for him in that, will take care of all the problems that he has in the world. I don't know what else he would have, uh, what other strategy he could employ that would be better than that, and that's what he's going to do. Yeah, and it just it's like he it seems like he could actually you know, be convicted, he could be in jail, and the majority of the Republican Party would want to vote for him, would want him to run for president and be the Republican nominee. I don't know constitutionally, legally, if he could, but it seems like they wouldn't care. They would run him for a jail cell. They just don't care. Y'all get that same sense? Yes. Well, I think the base base wants him to. I don't know. That's what I mean by base. Party... if the party leadership wants them to, but they don't seem to have any control of anything anyway. So yeah, they don't have any backbone. Uh, only I think part of that's true, David. There is one thing, though. I think Donald Trump this unworldly fear of sitting in a jail cell, even if it's for one day, and he will do absolutely anything he can legal or otherwise, to avoid that part of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll see. that There's more things to come out of this. But this was a big deal. Even though it was undercovered by conservative media, it was really probably yep. undercovered by all media because of our next topic. Because our next topic, historically unprecedented as well. Um, and, and there's, I guess, a little more um, – Surprise and sizzle to this, and that is the ongoing speaker's race. Let me try to remember the steps since we were last <laughs> on the show eight days ago on a Saturday morning. Jim Jordan, 
I believe, was still our nominee. We had moved past Steve Scalise, who won a vote in their caucus but never got a House vote for whatever reason. That still vexes me why he's been tossed aside never to return. Um, but, I mean, I'm not saying he makes a great speaker. I'm just saying it seems like in the, the scheme of things, he, he really got moved along really fast. So Jim Jordan became the speaker designee. He lost three votes across the course of the week, was ready for a fourth vote. Someone finally said, let's have a secret ballot if you still need to keep standing. And he lost that by a majority uh, vote. He had a double-digit figure of votes, not a triple-digit figure of votes for him remaining the speaker-designee. That was too much. He had to move on. And now the um, Republican caucus said people had till noon today in which to announce for speaker. We have nine candidates, too many candidates for us to properly do a buy-sell hold and talk about anything else and have a guest and anything else. So we're not going to do a buy-sell hold on all nine of these individuals. But that's about how we stay, where we stand. Tim, how did we get here? What a mess. Well, you know, we got here starting with Donald Trump coming down the escalator in 2015. <laughs> maybe even before that, maybe a guy that you know pretty well having campaigned against him, Newt Gingrich, did this mess decades ago when he told uh, people, don't say that the opposition is wrong on policy. Say they're sick. Attack them personally. And it's just cascaded on and on since then. And now we are at a point where Kevin McCarthy made massive mistakes in January, agreeing to just anything in order to be speaker. He he, he cared more about being speaker than about anything else. He never gave anything else a thought the damage it could do. And when he agreed to, in order to get Matt Gates to vote present, that, that that's what Matt Gates did. He voted present to get him to do that. Well, one person now can get up in Congress and make a motion to vacate, and they'll have to immediately have a vote on whether to to keep the speaker or remove. And so that's what's happened, and there seems to be no one now who can get enough votes, and they got to have 217 with the two vacancies we've got in Congress. they got to have 217 votes, and that just leaves them four votes they can do without. Well, you can't get 217 of those people to agree on anything or anybody and we've seen that. They couldn't even, that many of them, agree on keeping Kevin McCarthy as speaker to start with. And for now, they refuse to make any deals with Democrats. This is in its 19th day today. We're heading toward a fiscal catastrophe, which we'll talk about all that in a minute. But that's how we got here. That's where we are. And I don't see any way out. 
Yeah, Catherine, isn't the irony of this whole thing that Kevin McCarthy actually got more votes, if we count, you know, the votes to remain speaker um, after Matt Gates called the, you know, the vote of uh, no confidence, the, um, I'm forgetting the acronym, uh, the motion to vacate. He actually got right. more votes than Jim Jordan got any single solitary time. I have a gut feeling he would have gotten more than Steve Scalise got. There's a decent chance that whomever wins this um, conference committee meeting on Tuesday, and we hope they handle this whole sucker on Tuesday and get some kind of vote by at least first thing Wednesday morning, and all bets are off on that. Kevin McCarthy got more votes than all these folks, and yet we're going through this process like brand B, C, and D have more support in the Republican caucus than the original product, right? Yeah, you know, the whole thing is really is really appalling. Uh, you know, I've certainly had some chuckles over it, and I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of memes and cartoons and jokes and but really, what it comes down to is it's just appalling. And it's, uh, I think Tim makes a great point that I think it all started with Newt Gingrich. Um, I mean, it may have started even before that. But I think we can point at Newt Gingrich pretty, pretty confidently. And it, it's the, we, have no represent, we have no Congress right now. And we have so many problems in this country from, you know, hunger and health care and climate change and infrastructure. And now we have, you know, wars around the world. And this is what our time is being spent on. It's just appalling. And, uh, you know, I have my brother lives in Brazil and I talk to him every week and he's just appalled by it and and from the outside we look like fools uh and it's just, it's just as many jokes and as much as i you know like to see them squirm i don't like to see our country um in the, in this in these circumstances and and i think that i mean in my most cynical moments I wonder if this is like part of their plan, you know, make the, you know, what Grover Norquist famously said, whatever, you know, shrink the government to the size so it's small enough to drown in a bathtub. I mean, is this, is this what, is this what we're seeing in front of us right now? It's just appalling. Uh, you do wonder. Now, I want y'all to play along here. There's really only two answers, the Democrats and Republicans. Okay, so I'm going to ask y'all some questions, and I want y'all to give me the party. Which party wants to run government like a business? The Republicans, right? Well, I, that's, I they mean, say they want to do it. I don't know. That's the ones that say yeah. it. They, they yeah. want to run the government like a business. Which party has more homogeneity in gender, in race, in sexual orientation, and all these categories, and therefore they should be more – cohesive theoretically by the stereotypes. The Republicans, which party has the candidates to say, I'm going to bring fill-in-the-blank values to Washington? The Republicans. 
Now, which party can get their candidate put up and get 100% of their call, 212 votes, time after time after time, get their candidate the most votes and not look like an absolute dysfunctional clown show? The Democrats. I mean, everything the Republicans say about Democrats, this should be happening. I mean, if I had a business, I wouldn't want this bunch of Republicans running the business. It'd never open. Uh, you know, close, it'd be closed every day. It wouldn't be closed on Sunday. It'd be closed, you know, seven days a week. But they couldn't get anybody there. They're too dysfunctional. You know, Hakeem uh-huh. Jeffries gets his people there. Sure. This is David, I have a question The way you. they talk. David, are you with us? Yes. Did I cut out? You did. Yeah, you're badly. cutting out. Okay. I have a question for you, David. The government Hi. shuts down in mid-November. No money for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan. Heck, our armed forces in combat zones won't even get paid. We are going over a financial cliff. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? I'm I'm back with you, and I don't know where I cut off, so I'll end that rant. Am I back with you now, though? Did you hear my, the question I just asked you? You were talking about all the different things that went on, and, and what are we going to do? It, it looks like right. we're going to November 17th, and that's going to be the de facto pocket veto way to shut down the government. Sorry about what was going on. I was on the board the whole time. But let's let's get into the next thing. Is we got these nine candidates. We're not going to go all nine, but I will try to hit a few hot spots between before and after Craig. Um, the first one, Austin Scott from Georgia. He ran as an alternative at some point during all this fiasco last week to Jim Jordan. He didn't win, but he you know got a decent number of votes. He was the anti Jim Jordan. He's put his name up as one of the nine. He's actually been on the show. He was running for governor in 2010, doing a walk-in tour of Georgia, while his governor's campaign did never really took off. Um, I think it kind of gave him enough attention, I guess, to win that house seat in middle Georgia. Um, very nice person on the show, even though he didn't agree on a lot of political issues. was very cordial to us. Um, Catherine, I guess, were you on that show when we had Austin Scott that time? I can't remember. Okay. Well, just from what you know of him, um, what do you think his odds in this, um, you know, quest to become speaker are? Very. I mean, I don't think anybody knows who he is, really. He's kind of a quiet guy, I don't, as far as I know. We don't hear about him very much. So I'd say his chances are probably slim. But what do I know? I mean, who knows who these people will vote for and how? what kind of – um, glad handing and compromises going on behind the scenes in order to, you know, curry votes. Yeah. Well, let's kind of put a pin in that because we're going to welcome on to the uh, line for, oh, the fourth or fifth time, Mr. Craig Pittman. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. How's it going? Oh, going well. Um, I, I, I When I saw this um, – uh, story or the series of stories in Fox uh, Media over the course of the fall, I thought of you. I thought, my goodness, <laughs> they're talking about Florida. Talking about Florida, man. 
your wild stories of Florida men and women. They're talking about Disney World and how it's developed as such this huge thing all throughout Florida, and particularly in central Florida. Oh, Florida. I mean, everything in there is stuff Craig Pittman's written about. Did they actually hit on anything you didn't write about? Uh no, and that I was kind of hurt they didn't ask me to write something, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I could have so, saved them a lot of time. You know, <laughs> I had everything at my fingertips. <laughs> but uh, you know the 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 um, the story on us having more invasive species in any of the state—that's absolutely true. Um, I especially enjoyed Kristen Arnett's essay about Florida man and uh, how that spices up life here in Florida, and. Uh, um, the piece about uh, Disney, you know, um, you may have heard there's a little bit of a court case going on involving that theme park uh, that uh, the governor seems to keep losing. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Disney, let me ask my next question right there. Um, Disney World. We know that um, a lot of conservatives have heard, um, you know, Governor DeSantis's um, or – with Disney World, and they've probably decided we're not going to go to Disney World. And then we know that a lot of progressives, because of what Governor Santos does with Don't Say Gay and, and those pieces of legislation, have decided they're not going to go to Florida, which can't really go to Disney World if you're not going to go to Florida. So therefore, it's kind of like there's boycotts both ways. And I have heard that um, Disney World's attendance figures have been down so far in one, if I'm right that what the reporting I heard, they are, they are down. And if they're down, can you tell if it's more the right or the left-wing boycott that's causing the um, dip, or I guess it could even be something else? I, I'm thinking it's it's something completely different. There's not that many people who are so wedded to their ideology that they would boycott something. I mean, it's, you know, uh, uh, cost of living is up. Um uh, homeowners insurance costs are way up here in Florida. We're Florida has the worst affordable housing rates in in the entire country. So it could be Florida people boycotting Disney just because they can't afford it right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very very possible. Um, well, one last thing I wanted to ask you before I turn it over to Tim and Catherine for some mm-hmm. more different questions is um, you actually wrote today because of that invasive species article, which I think. Even though I'm not a wildlife person that gets in the field like I guess you have researching it and the people you talk to do, mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. And they had a lionfish hunt, and they caught – I guess it was in the thousands. Uh, tell us about the lionfish and how successful that was today. Um, well, uh, they, they have an, uh, an annual fishing tournament to catch as many lionfish as they can. It's an invasive species. They're not supposed to be here, uh, but somebody – some aquarium person turned them loose breed like mad, like many of our invasive species, pythons, iguanas, you name it. And so, you know, one of the solutions, solutions, quote, unquote, is to go out and catch as many as you can and then cook them because they do taste good. But the problem is, even if if you count 30,000 of them, there's another 60 that they're not catching. And they're out there breeding and taking over the uh, the ocean around Florida. I mean, it's it, our, our solution to all of these and all of these invasive species seems to be let's kill as many as we can. That's certainly what we're doing with the pythons. We've got uh, uh, about 50 professional python hunters plus an annual python hunt um, that makes certain politicians look good because they come out in favor of 
killing the pythons, but it's barely making a dent in the population. Same thing with the iguanas. The, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission told everybody, you know, go out and kill as many iguanas as you can, and then, then had to kind of backpedal when somebody accidentally used a BB gun shooting at a, uh, a, an iguana and actually hit a Miami pool boy. Um, <laughs> like, maybe you should hire a professional to kill, <laughs> to kill the iguanas. Don't do it yourself. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that hunting is the solution it's not really working out because, you know, frankly, they breed faster than we can shoot. And so, uh, you know, the, the, uh, um, we're hopeful that there's a solution in science maybe to somehow turn the breeding against them, you know, make it so that they don't produce more, more of their offspring than, than they are already now. Uh, but until we reach that point, I'm afraid that they're just taking over out there. Yes, well, fascinating stuff. And when you share stuff on Twitter, I, I find it some of the most interesting content. Because, like, just earlier in the week, you had the guy that bagged the uh, deer and the python in the same hunt. I'm not so sure yes. you get more meat off python. Yes, that was amazing. <laughs> and and but here's the thing: is you can't you you're not supposed to eat the meat off the really big pythons because it's got too much mercury in it. Oh, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they use the skin to make various products, you know, shoes and uh, cell phone holders and, and purses and stuff like that. But the meat itself, you can only eat it off of the smaller ones because uh, they don't have quite as much mercury in them. But the ones that are like 18 feet long, you gotta got to gotta get rid of that meat. Oh, my. It's something new every day you learn. Well, I'm going to pass it to Tim. He'll pass it to Catherine. Tim? Okay. Oh, good evening again, Mr. Pittman. Thank you for being with us. My um, pleasure. One of those articles I was reading, it, you know, affirmed what Burtz had been saying for years, that climate change will produce a significant rise in ocean levels mm-hmm. uh, w- within just a few years. It, it, and, and that article was just in Miami alone. Obviously, the entire coastline of Florida is at risk. Oh, we're already are seeing it. Any, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any government plans to do anything about all of this? And what did the political leaders in Florida even say about it? Well, we had one. We had a governor named Charlie Crist who actually identified uh-huh. climate change as a major risk to Florida, and he actually sat down and started doing something about it and and uh, trying to formulate a uh, a plan for dealing with it. Unfortunately, Charlie was too ambitious and went off and ran for the U.S. Senate and got defeated. And so he was replaced by Rick Scott, who wouldn't even, he didn't even want people to talk about climate change around him. And then uh, Ron DeSantis, <laughs> who uh, he says, oh, we'll, we'll deal with the rising sea level, but I don't want to do any left-wing stuff, which apparently involves mm-hmm. getting off fossil fuels. So, so um the, the big difference between Ron DeSantis and Rick Scott is that Rick Scott didn't want to hear about rising sea levels. Ron DeSantis is okay with hiring people to build higher seawalls and pumps and, and so forth to deal with the rising sea levels, but he didn't want to do anything about the cause of the rising sea levels. It's like saying, I'm going to go out and, and fill in that pothole in the road, but I'm not going to do anything about what's causing the potholes. <laughs> I'm just going to keep filling it over and over and over again. And I mean that's the that's the downside to the way that they're dealing with it is that 
they're not dealing with the cause, they're just dealing with the symptoms, which means they're going to have to keep building the seawalls higher and higher and higher, building bigger pumps and so forth to deal with all this water that's coming up. I mean, I I went to a a neighborhood in Key West a couple of years ago, or in in the Keys a couple of years ago, where they had water standing in the streets for 90 days straight. That's the kind of stuff we're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, Well, you you know, you've got... These giant cities, Jacksonville, the biggest city in mm-hmm. your state. You've got Miami and its surrounding area. You've got Tampa. These are huge metropolitan areas right on the front lines of all this. Aren't the local right. political leaders in these areas raising the alarm? They are, and and to their credit, they're trying to do something about it, uh, particularly in, mm-hmm. in Miami and in the Keys. They have people working on it, and in the in our state universities, they've had people working on those issues as well. But at, at every turn, they find themselves blocked by our our uh, idiotic legislature and our governor, who doesn't doesn't want to deal with that left wing stuff. And it's like, well, it's not left wing stuff if it's all about your basic survival, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, are Florida residents still fairly happy with? I'm sorry, I lost you there. What what were you saying? Yeah, I, I said, are Florida residents still fairly happy with uh, the state government and the governor in particular? No, no, definitely not. I think if he was running for re-election now, I mean, it would depend on who was running against him. But I, I don't think he'd be. I don't think he'd he'd win in a walk the way he did last time, because people are really dissatisfied with the high cost of property insurance and car insurance which he mm-hmm. and the legislature have really done very little about, meanwhile taking insurance company campaign contributions. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're bringing in millions for that, but they're not doing much. And, they're, and they keep claiming, oh, it's all because of the lawsuits. It's these evil lawsuits. They made it harder for Floridians to sue their insurance company, which, you know, that was right after – that happened right after Hurricane Ian slammed into the state. So those poor folks mm-hmm. down in southwest Florida looking at their – at their problems that they've got, and 40% of their insurance claims were turned down, and they can't do anything about it because they can't sue. You mm. can see why people aren't happy about that. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you one more question, then I'm going to send it to Catherine, and she's going to mm-hmm. probably take you to Utah or something. Okay. You can't never tell. <laughs> okay. but one of those, it, one of those square not, states. <laughs> yeah, really. You know, it, it wasn't long ago that except for old, older Cuban Americans that Hispanic voters were all reliably Democratic in mm-hmm. Florida. Now, I, I, I read the, the article, you, you know, that that was that David sent me in. Uh, I, I know, of course, that no longer is the case among Hispanics in Florida, and I know mm-hmm. what Hispanics are saying. it. But in reality, what do these – new Hispanic Republican voters think that the Republicans have done for them? I think they see it strictly through the the prism that they're getting from Hispanic media, from the, the radio stations in particular, that have all been bought up by right-wing organizations, and that's the, that's the politics they're peddling, and they're enormously influential. The... the um, it's like there's been this targeted effort to take over Florida's media. Um, most of the TV stations here are owned by Sinclair, which is a very right-wing uh-huh. organization. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so you know it, you you rarely, if ever, hear 
anything good about the Democratic Party or anything good about Joe Biden or anything like that. Instead, it's all, oh, the governor did this and the governor did that, and then wonderful. So if that's the diet you're getting pouring into your ears 24 hours a day, you know, that's the, that's the belief system you're going to have, whether it's true or not. Hmm. And on that happy note, I'm going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine? Hey, thanks for being with us tonight. It's great to, get to, great to talk with you. Thank you. Um, before, we, before we go to Utah, I want to... <laughs> For the record, I never wanted to go to Utah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to follow up on uh, what Tim was talking about with climate change. And mm-hmm. are any, like, isn't like Disney or, you know, Publix or any of the, like, large companies in Florida worried about this? And do they have any, I mean, obviously Disney has a, you know, relatively unfriendly relationship with the legislature and the governor, but is there any outcry from them or are they just like, oh, just keep coming, keep buying our stuff and we'll be fine. They, they are not now, but I have to say that um, the folks who are actually doing the most are the, is a company called next era energy, which owns Florida power and light, the largest Florida utility company. Next era energy is the biggest, com- biggest company in, the world for solar power and for wind power, but not here in Florida. They're putting it all out <laughs> west. Um, they've just started putting, building big solar farms here in Florida, uh, and I don't know what took them so long, quite honestly. Um, but they, they, they at least are investing heavily in breaking free of the fossil fuel uh, uh, slavery that we're all kind of caught up in. Um, but on the other hand, they want to... They wanted all of themselves, like a lot of companies. They uh, actually pushed a bill through the legislature a couple of years ago that would have pretty much killed off the the uh, home solar power market. So people putting on putting the uh, fuel cells on their on their roof and then selling oh, right. power yeah. back to the back to the power company. They didn't like that, so they got the legislature to pass that bill. The it was the most unpopular bill just by the, the terms of how many people wrote in and called in and emailed to complain about it. And so, to his credit, the governor vetoed that. He, he said he was vetoing it because of the expense, not for anything else. But, you know, it was obviously – it was right before his reelection campaign, so it was him smartly doing something that was politically popular. If it, if it got brought up again, I'm not sure he'd do that. Oh, so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, now, apparently – Governor DeSantis said that Florida is like Utah of the Southeast. Yeah. Do, yeah. do we even know what that means? No, and I don't think he does either. Uh, you know, it's not like it's not like we're all wearing that special underwear that the Mormons wear. Or right. that Romney yeah, like, does. Um, uh, now, I have to say, the Mormon church is, I believe, the, now the largest landowner in Florida. The, there's a place called the Deseret Ranch that they own in central Florida. It has been used as a ranch, and they're now making plans to convert into subdivision development, so it'll look just like everywhere else in Florida. But that doesn't mean that they you know, are in control of the government or, or anything like that, or that we are a semi-desert state like Utah is. <laughs> you know, it's just that, that, that was him just pandering, basically. I, I prefer to call him disastrous. Pandering to who? Pandering to potential. 
pandering to potential voters. He's just so bad at campaigning. He's just so <laughs> incredibly bad. You, you, have you heard about the the thing with the um, the the Project Dynamo flights that they were bringing people out of Israel, bringing supposed to bring Floridians who were trapped in Israel by the the Gaza situation. They're supposed to be mm-hmm. rescuing them, putting them on a plane, flying them back to Florida. And the governor popped up and said, I have arranged to give state funding so they will bring back Floridians. And then he was there in Tampa when the, one of the planes landed and was personally greeting everybody. And only then, after, after everybody landed, after he'd gotten all this attention, and had started selling T-shirts, believe it or not, for his campaign that said DeSantis Airways. <laughs> you, oh, could, you could buy a DeSantis Airways T-shirt for twenty-eight bucks. Only after that started did we get the real truth, which is they were in, and this came from the CEO of Project Dynamo. They were in such a huge rush to get those folks back in time for him to play it up for his campaign that they forgot and left twelve people in Cyprus. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> you see why I call him disastrous. <laughs> He is really bad. Like, yeah, he, he's just really bad. Like, he's he's not personable. He's not Mm-mm. funny. He's no. not attractive. He's not like eloquent. And he's like, and he's and he's and he's certainly not. Cool. And he's mean. <laughs> yeah, he's mean. He's like mean. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, what other stories in Florida have you been excited about? Uh, this invasive species thing is crazy. Like, it is. It is. I, I actually talked to a while ago. I talked to the guy who found the very first python in Florida. This is a this is a great story. It was 1979. That's how far back this was. He was out on a on a first date, and they were coming back on the Tamiami Trail. He had his brights on because that road is very very dark. And suddenly they saw in the edge of the road this thing they'd never seen before. And he slams on the brakes, jumps out, runs over to it. It's an 11-foot, 9-inch snake, and it's a python, uh, a Burmese python. They've never seen one before. So he grabs it and starts dragging that carcass back to the car, and his date says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm going to take this home and skin it. She said, not with me in the car, you're not. (laughs) And he said, well, I'll come back for you. (laughs) (laughs) There was no second date. (laughs) Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, but he's still got that skin. He still got it. He sent me a picture. <laughs> and now there's hundreds of thousands of them out there. <laughs> Is this because people bought them as pets or like Yeah. Do we have yeah, they, they they bought them as pets and then discovered that they don't grow according to how old they are. They grow grow according to how much they eat. So if they're well fed, they get to be huge. And when they once they pass about 10 feet, people start thinking I can't keep up with this. This is this is insane. I need to get rid of this thing. And so they went out to the Everglades and just turned them loose. Oh my and, god! And and you know, and now we're living with those bad decisions. Um, it's uh, it's it's quite a situation. And I think a lot of people have the wrong idea about how these things work. The I, I took a they they actually offer an online class for people who want to become a python hunter. So I took the class, and all through the <laughs> class, the teachers telling everybody. This is not like deer hunting. You're not shooting them from a distance. You have to get right up on them and hold them and wrestle them into submission. It takes about 30 to 45 minutes, and then you use a bolt gun, and you fire the bolt gun through their brain to kill them. 
So she she says this at least three times during the during the session. And then at the end, she says, "Now does anybody have any questions?" And the guy raises his hand and says, "What kind of what kind of shotgun should we use?" <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's gonna say again, "You're not shooting at them from a long way away. You're right on top of them." So shooting a shotgun is a bad idea. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about Florida. <laughs> That's actually our state motto. <laughs> I, grew, I grew up in Michigan, and we always made jokes about Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. Just they were our neighboring state. But, All those Ohioans you know. moved here. All those Buckeyes are down here now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, a lot of Michiganders, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, a friend of mine well, claims that Florida is actually the drain pan at the bottom of, of, this, of the United States. <laughs> it yeah. just kind of drains down here. <laughs> well, and I always say, well, Karen, you're from New York. You drain down here, too. And she said, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the show. I think David has some more questions for you. We okay. always enjoy talking with you. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah. Well, all the guy wanted to know was what kind of shotgun shot bolts. He was listening. <laughs> you know, bolt shotgun. You got. You got. You, you got. You got to have a bolt gun. It's a bolt gun, like the like the one um, uh, the bad guy used in um, uh, what was that Cormac McCarthy based movie? I forget the name of it now. Where where um, uh, anyway, it's a bolt gun. They use for yeah. they use for killing cattle, and you know when they're making meat out of them, and that's what that's what you're supposed to use for the for the snakes, because it's a humane way to to kill these things. So, uh, and yeah, you know, so, but <laughs> you know. yeah, and if you and if you watch the first season of Killing It on um, Peacock with Craig oh, yeah. Robinson, you don't mm-hmm. use a nail gun, which yeah, uh, no. Craig Robinson's <laughs> character put through his hand. Yeah, um, that's why you don't do that. I, I, another 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 thing where they forgot to consult me, and I'm I've actually reported on pythons and. My name's Craig, so they could have called me. I could have helped them with that. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, um, so I did want to ask about one more story off the box or something okay. kind of related to it was Publix. Because I know at times you've talked about Publix because it is, mm-hmm. I guess, one of the two hometown grocery stores, that in Winn-Dixie. Yeah. And um, it's the and it's Florida. the successful one. It's the successful one. Let's yeah. put it that way. Because Aldi, I guess, <laughs> Aldi bought out Winn Dixie, I guess. Uh, yeah, and they bought out a bunch of Winn Dixie. Turned to, and and yeah, now people are worried. People who got their prescriptions through the Winn Dixie pharmacy are now freaking out, which you can kind of understand. Because Aldi doesn't Aldi, have a pharmacy. Very Aldi doesn't have a pharmacy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well, let me ask you something about Publix, and this is something okay. I don't really frequent Publix a lot, and I think you and I have mm-hmm. talked about that offline. I'm not as big mm-hmm. a fan, um, yeah. uh, for whatever reasons. But I, it is mm-hmm. very close to my father, so I went in there recently, and I noticed that you know how you, they really sell customer service, and you mm-hmm. don't they don't have buggy racks because they take your groceries out for you and whatnot. I was over yeah. there, and I noticed there was a lot of buggies in the parking lot. And I'm not trying to diss Publix. They like a lot of employers are struggling to find workers. Yeah, um, and therefore, if your model's based on customer service and you can't employ enough people to do those little extras, you kind of lose that edge. Have you seen mm-hmm. that in Florida, where their home base is, like I did in Rome, Georgia? Uh, not as much, but I, I'm expecting it because um, uh, you know we passed that 
anti-immigration law, very strong anti-immigrant law. And as a result, a lot of the folks who were not supposed to be here are not showing up for work here anymore. So the construction industry, the uh, agricultural industry, the tourism industry, you know, the hotels and so forth, are all suddenly missing their employees. They're missing workers that they used to could count on because these folks are saying, you know what, if I go out there and I get arrested, I'll get deported. I don't want that. I don't want to risk that. So we're gonna we're gonna go to a state where we're more welcome. So uh, a lot of those places now are really. A lot of those businesses are really struggling, and to the point where uh, I don't know if you saw this story. Um, uh, some some of the major agricultural folks met with a couple of the legislators who had passed this bill, and the legislators were trying to calm them down and say, no, no, it wasn't really. It wasn't supposed to be real. It was just supposed to scare people. But this bill, we're not really going to enforce it. <laughs> well, nobody's told the cops. The cops are enforcing it. The Florida Highway Patrol, I think, has, has arrested three people so far. So, Craig, we don't know if we saw that story, but we did see another story which Ron Hetrick was quoted over and over for, and Ron's going to be our next next week on the show and talk about Florida, but really countrywide. No. Having a terrible day today on this. Um, but, well, Craig, I just wanted to then wrap up with this. It sounds like you might be researching the book, all kind of projects. Just tell us about any kind of projects you might have coming up. Uh, I am actually working on a book about pythons. I'm, I'm calling it The Snake That Swallowed oh. Florida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Right. That, that will be that will be outstanding. I have a feeling we'll make it make you It will be consuming. It will be consuming is what it is. <laughs> I, I bet we will get you on before that book comes out, but when that book Probably. comes out, we know we'll have to get you on to talk about that. Well, just until so. then, tell our listeners where they can read you, and, and we'll let you, bid you adieu for the night. Sure. I, I write a weekly column on Florida environmental issues for the Florida Phoenix, which is an online publication, no paywall. You can go right in and read whatever you want. And, and I do a weekly podcast. I'm the co-host of Welcome to Florida with Chad Scott. Uh, Chad and I bring on people that we, the, 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 the conceit of the show is that there are 900 new people moving to Florida every day, and most of them don't know what they're getting into. So we're trying to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've had experts to come on and talk about alligators and pythons and panthers and manatees. We've talked about um, uh, ghost orchids. We talked about Anita Bryant's anti-gay crusade from back in the 70s. Uh, we've talked about, um, you know, the, the, just all kinds of great stuff. We have one about the importance of croquetas to Miami culture. Uh, we, our most controversial show was on the origin of the Cuban sandwich, which is a huge fight between Tampa and Miami. <laughs> so <laughs> re, you really do not want to get in the middle of that. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. uh, but I, we, we, in, we, we have a good time and occasionally we have sponsors. So <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a fun show. Yes. All right. Well, we'll uh, keep up with you through social media, through your column of Florida Phoenix, and when we get a chance to listen to the podcast with you and Chad Scott with that great, rich voice of his. But yes. um, <laughs> thanks again for coming on tonight. My pleasure. Happy to help. Thank you. Thank All you, right. sir. Y'all take care. Good night. Hey. All right. That was Craig Pittman, and and I could just tell he was writing another book, and I'd say what. He did such a good job with Cattail and really any book he writes. 
But Cattail being, I guess, the most um, analogous to the Python story, I am sure that book is going to be just fascinating. And hopefully he can even reach a wider audience than he already has with his national bestsellers. Um, well, let's go ahead and get back to our speaker's discussion. We had talked about Austin Scott with Catherine. But I know you were on the interview with Austin Scott when he came on the show. What do you think of his chances out of this nine? Uh, I, he, he don't have much of a chance, I don't think. I, I'm, I'm very dubious as to where anyone does, but no, uh, Catherine did mention he's not that well known. He's, he's not, he's not a loud person. When, when you said he was a nice guy on the show, that's the way he really is in purpose uh, or, or in person. I, I know Barbara Reese told me years ago, she served in the legislature with him for a long time, and what a heck of a nice fellow he is, she said. Uh, he was one of those Republicans that everybody, regardless of their party label, liked personally. You could disagree yeah, well, with him. Yeah, we'll never make it then. Yeah. <laughs> the, the man's a happy warrior. Uh, I don't think he's made any real enemies up there, but at the same time, I don't think he's made a lot of strong allies either. And, and you know, the different camps that are in the Republican Party. So I, I don't think he'll get very far, David. Yeah, nice guys don't always finish last, but if they're running in the Republican uh, primary yeah, races these days, <laughs> that's the kiss of death. Um, yeah. Well, let's. I want to give y'all my assessment of the race, and then I'm going to let y'all give y'all's too. And I think it's going to come down to two candidates. I think it's going to come down to the establishment figure, Tom Emmer of Minnesota, and it's going to come down to the MAGA candidate, Brian, uh, Byron Donalds of Florida. Um, I, I think he's going to be kind of the, the you know, um, Matt Gates, uh, Marjorie Taylor, uh, Lauren Boebert, uh, Paul Gosar, all those characters, they're going to get behind Byron Donalds. All the folks that kind of were more, much more supportive of, um, you know, Kevin McCarthy's campaign, that's where the folks are going to gravitate to Tom Emmer. And here's the deal. One of them's probably going to win the vote on – We like I said, once again, we hope it's Tuesday. They at least finish that portion up. They're going to get to the House floor. And they're not going to get the 217 <laughs> votes. And then we may have to go to the other one. And they're going to not get to the 217 votes the other way. And we may just be in the same fix between the establishment not being happy with the MAGA candidate and the MAGA group not being happy with the establishment candidate. And we know <laughs> Donald Trump has already weighed in on Tom Emmer. Um, Tim, what do you think? Do you think it's going to be somebody else between one of those two finishing in the top two? No, I think you're probably right about that, and I also think you're right about the result once it gets to the House floor. I just don't see any way out of it if they're going to be, uh, let's leave the Democrats out of this, except when it gets time to blame somebody for what's going on. Then we'll put the Democrats in it. Uh, the Democrats have mentioned, hey, you know, we're willing to say yes if, <laughs> you know, you ask the right questions. And there's one of two ways the Democrats, I think, would help out. And 
One of those would be a, a very simple one. All they would ask for in return is some floor votes on some things like aid to Ukraine and, you know, some things like that. They're not going to ask for a power sharing arrangement or anything silly. Well, they, uh, you know, that could free up a few of their votes to maybe go over and vote for somebody. And the other thing that I think could happen is a resurrection of the idea that the Republicans had discounted in their caucus, and, and that's letting Patrick McHenry uh, have some more authority to do something beside preside over Congress when there's a speaker election and his other duties, which is to gavel them in and out of session. How about giving him the authority to put some spending bills on the floor so we don't shut the stupid government down for crying out loud or something like that? That's another way out of this, at least in the short term, because for right now, I just don't see how one person can get 217 votes. And this is getting really, really, really scary. It it really is. This, This is... Uh, this is the kind of stuff that goes on in other countries, guys, and we're yeah. seeing it right here. And we I never dreamed we would see anything like this. I mean, the speaker's vote to elect a speaker is generally viewed as the uh, easiest vote a congressman's going to make in their time in Congress. It's a no-brainer. And they can't even do that. How dysfunctional has have the Republicans in, in the U.S. House become? And the you know the Senate can't do nothing about it. They they don't they don't have the authority to do anything except you know make some appointments and uh, you you know uh, some promotions. And of course, Tuberville is taking away part of that with the military. So, I mean, there's got to be a way out of this, but yet there is seemingly no way out of this the way they're doing it. David, do you see them doing something different to break this? No, I don't. No, I really don't think we're going to be any further a week from now. Um, I think the Patrick McHenry thing, we're still weeks off of that getting anywhere because it's going to have to get more urgent. Uh, closer to November 17th. Catherine, do you see anybody, anybody besides the two candidates I mentioned, Donalds and Emmer, uh, getting a lot of votes? No, they look, they look to be the front runner, so to speak. Um, but Tim's right. I mean, this is, it's just going to, it's just a giant, you know, uh, circle and it's just going to keep going. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, this sounds stupid, but I feel like it's time to call the adults, right? Like, just get Nancy back, like, or somebody, like, just, it's just, it's so frustrating. And, you know, as Tim said, we're at the precipice of a, you know, fiscal disaster. Plus, we've got, you know, like, like you said, Tuberville and, and these promotions, and we've got, you know, wars in two two areas where we're trying that we're trying to um support or or you know provide 
some kind of support for, and then all the other problems that we have. <laughs> like, it's it's just it's so, so it's just so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it, it just really looks like it's going to continue on. You you would think that sometimes when these kind of things happen in the state house, that you might possibly get to a really really moderate Republican, and there's so few of those really left. Uh, and maybe if there's a, a good group of twenty of those folks, that they would vote with all the Democrats. You'd have to have all the Democrats stay on board, though, and they could elect a speaker, and then they could uh, use that to pass a funding bill. Maybe even get more concessions for a deal like that, where you'd put more legislation on the floor. But I mean, I don't yeah, know if it comes to that because that. it seems like the Republicans just don't want to go there, even the ones that could possibly gain a lot of power and seem to be closer to that style of government than obviously the Matt Gates of the world. But they're not um, going to do that because it, they'll, they'll get primary, primaried and then they'll be out of a job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, David. You think, I mean, I am talking about folks from these 18 districts that Joe Biden won in 2020. I mean, that, there are 18 no. districts that Rachel Bittenkoffer has identified that were won by Joe Biden. So you'd have to say those districts are not as, um, you know, politically conservative. They're the kind of district those folks are going to lose in general if the government shuts down. Tim? I, I, I thought of another angle. There are more than just a little handful of Republicans in the House that might, uh, shall we say, Use this to take advantage of something they wanted to do anyway instead of uh, this, this This latest route started with McCarthy making a deal with Biden to keep the budget going for a year to fund the government. There's a lot of them that want to cut spending so badly, they say, that they prefer to shut the government down. I wonder if they're going to try to hold the line and do exactly that. Yeah. Well, uh, they might. And then what? Don't take and many we'll of them, see. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see if if there's no government on the seventeenth, and then we'll see what that does to the poll numbers. And polls are so tricky right now because poll numbers are not really reflecting what we're seeing. So we have to think poll numbers are off. I think the actual best poll we're going to get is actually going to be the November elections in Virginia, New Jersey. Kentucky, Mississippi, those kind of places. And we're going to see, you know, what happens out of that. And, and it, will that scare um, some sense into Republicans? Because, um, you know, we, we just don't know. And obviously the Louisiana results we saw about two weekends ago, um, they wouldn't scare Republicans because Democrats just didn't turn up for that election because I guess they knew that there was very little chance to win that. Um, but we'll see in a much more competitive environment like Virginia and, and Kentucky where the Democrats actually hold the governorship with a, with a pretty popular governor, even though the state as a whole has been more Republican. Um, but thanks again to Craig Pittman for coming in tonight. And next week, going to go on an early show on Friday midday with economist, labor economist Ron Hetrick for the second time. But until next week, it's been the Cuzzy Vine. Good night, guys. Hi, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the law.